Nikki. Hey, Selena. And hello, and welcome to Sweet Tea and TV. Hey, y'all. Well, here we are. We're here. Nobody ever knows, but again, it's been a while for us. It ha- How long has it been? Like a month? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a little sickness in between there. Do you want to talk about that? I, I had a little sickness in between there, and it took about two weeks to get over. It was the sickness. Syphilis? Not that sickness. <laughs> <laughs> no, ma'am. Just thought I'd ask. <laughs> Why'd you go there? I just wanted to cue you up. <laughs> no, it was the sickness of our time. The mm. plague. The COVID. Mm. It was terrible. Yeah. I mean, I can't pretend like I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you want to ask me a bunch of questions oh, that sure. you haven't already asked me? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so you got some firsthand experience. I did. I, yeah. I, I'm right there. Firsthand, front row. Right. Turns out an unvaccinated four-year-old who's got the virus sneezing in your eye is no good for anybody. Oh, right in the eyeballs. <laughs> There's just no way to avoid it when your kid gets it. Yeah. Just is what it is. So it just took down the whole maze clan. Almost all of us. One yeah. of us. One of us is staying strong, but it took us all, almost all of us down. But we're we're back on our feet now. She's got that fairy blood. She does. She's just better than we are. Unicorn blood. Something. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So magical is what I'm trying to say. It's true. Sprite. It's not the drink. <clears throat> now I want Sprite. <laughs> I'm sorry. That I can't help you with. <laughs> ah. So. All right. Well. Here's the thing. I started looking at like when this was going to air. Uh-huh. And this podcast episode, this one right here, is going this to one. air. We're this one. We're recording right now. This guy. Right. Is going to record. Nope. Air. <laughs> the day. Nay. We're out of practice. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start over. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. We're not going to start over. No, we're not doing that. We're going to just That's leave too it much all. Work. It really is. So uh, this is just natural. Um, anyway, so it's going to air the day after Easter. How fortuitous. Well, it seems to me that since we got this out of the blue religious episode, yeah. it just sort of struck me like it feels like a good time then to talk a little bit about Easter. Sure. That's as a, one does. It's a pretty big holiday, especially in the South, especially in the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. Um and so I thought I would ask you, do you have any, like, vivid Easter memories? It can be from now, but, like, also if you were younger. Whatever. Any. Yeah. You know, we used to go to my grandmother's house in South Carolina. Uh, my mom's mom. Uh, we called her Nanny. We'd go to her house. And I have a lot of cousins on that side. And I have a lot of memories of going there on or around Easter and doing, like, the big family lunch and all of us i just remember sitting outside on the porch like all the cousins i think there were easter egg hunts involved i think um but we definitely did easter egg hunts like with my family like an easter egg hunt is my thing i i don't know why i don't have a super vivid memory of one but like as you are aware i'm competitive so you killed children i in knocked the hunt. them i didn't kill them i severely maimed them oh okay killing them it would was be like murder. A, it was like a real hunt for <laughs> you <laughs> it was a hunger games is what it was okay <laughs> but well, there's food at stake it's true it's true so i love a good easter egg hunt so all of my easter memories rotate around the easter egg hunt okay all right what about you uh well one thing that i thought about is i started thinking about the easter bunny pictures oh sure uh-huh 
And I don't remember taking them. I don't either. But there is picture evidence. And, oh, not so you, with me. I'm sorry. Oh. No, I just remember seeing the pictures. Oh, okay. Okay, but they are pictures of you. Yeah. Okay, got with it. With the Easter so Bunny. So you've blocked it out of your memory because the Easter Bunny is terrifying. In that arena. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they need to soften the. This is probably why they do like the real bunnies and the chicks now. Oh, yeah. They're, Minus you the fact still, you might have a Lenny situation. You can it's still have nice. a Lenny situation. Yeah, the Grapes of Wrath, Lenny. Oh. Mm. the chick. Oh. He like rubs it. He loves it too hard and he accidentally breaks its neck. Why wouldn't you have called that a Dumb and Dumber reference? Do you remember Maybe, the kid? I don't know why. <laughs> I do remember. Yeah, with the bird? Yeah. The dead bird? Yeah. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> I also spoil Grapes of Wrath. So. <laughs> you can still um, get a picture with the Easter Bunny at the mall. Okay. Or you could in the before well, times. Hold on. I think it was a bunny. And maybe that's why it's Grapes of Wrath. Oh. Because well, we're oh. talking about bunnies. Right. Oh, bunny connection. All right. You carry on with your story. Okay. I feel like we've spiraled. Anyways, I was all, all to say that bunny, creepy. That's all. I also have like really vivid memories of the outfits. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so floral dress that I was forced into or some sort of ruffle situation mm-hmm. was at play. Uh, do you remember the lace pantyhose? Like white lace? No. It was like white lace pantyhose and always black patent shoes. Mm-hmm. Maybe some black. Sort of, yeah. Oh, yeah. not white. Mm-mm. Interesting. Yeah. Of course, I could be misremembering. See, we did the little white socks with the little ruffle around that. Did you have those two? Mm -hmm. That's what I remember from like Easter adjacent. Well, and I feel like maybe, and it was lacy in like a doily girly way, not lacy in like a bada boom boom boom. I'm trying to remember when I started wearing tight i don't really remember wearing tights as a kid but you know what now that you're saying that we have a series of pictures uh of uh, probably jc penny or sears or whatever maybe kmart um but we're we're wearing pastel dresses my mom's wearing her 80s finest and maybe there are tights involved i would have been like three or four i'll have to dig these out yeah well you might have repressed that memory Mm. because it's not comfortable Mm -mm. i mean i wore them from the time i was like two or three yeah uh and that's because there is also photo evidence of an outfit that i used to put together that was pantyhose white pantyhose Mm -hmm. my bathing suit perfect that was green with like a pink ruffle on it Mm -hmm. and then the black patent shoes this sounds nice i mean i kind of feel like i was always fashion forward it really was (laughs) You're just marching to the beat of your own drummer. Well, my uncle tells stories about how, like, he'd be like, go get dressed for the mall. That's what I go put on. And he's like, talking to my mom, he's like, Sabrina, I'm, I'm not taking her to the mall in that. And then my mom's like, hippy-dippy. So she's like, you let her be who she wants to be. Oh, <laughs> that's nice. So <laughs> how that, old would that have been? I mean, it's kind of nice. Like three. Okay. Three, maybe four. That's a tough age to negotiate clothing with. It, it really is. I mean, it is sort, sort of nice to kind of like let kids be free, I guess, as long as they're not like, as long as like they're covered and not cold. Yes, but sometimes, man, you just, it's, oh, it's a toss up. It's 7.15 and he's wearing shorts and you're like, oh, it's January. Well, I meant more like no socks, no shoes situation. But we need to get to school, yeah. so... Your yeah. butt's still covered in that situation, so I feel like you're making strides. That's true. <laughs> so, Good call. Um, so, 
the other things that stand out to me is like making Easter supper. So I have a mm. very vivid memory of like making garlic bread. What's wrong with me? Garlic bread with my grandma. She's like standing behind me, like showing me how to like do stuff. And there is oh. actually also picture evidence of that. Like I can picture what I'm wearing. I'd like the whole thing. Um, I've been dragged to a few sunrise services. Yes, dragged. Dragged. Sunrise service. Oh, yeah. That sounds mean. This is the South. We take that real seriously. Um, it's still cold and dewy because mm-hmm. it's early spring. Mm-hmm. But there was also, like, even being, like, a little kid, I could see the majesty in it. Mm-hmm. You're a believer. You're not a believer. We're not here to judge. We're talking about memories. Mm-hmm. And, but, like, just sitting out there, I was like, all right, I kind of get it. And I think it's just like how everybody gets like moved in the moment or mm-hmm. something. And then, of course, um, you mentioned Easter egg hunt, so I won't talk about that, but baskets. Easter oh, baskets. Yeah. And I just have to give a shout out to my mom because she made the most epic Easter baskets. Really? Yeah. Yeah, she was, like, doing the Pinterest Easter baskets, like, before that was a thing. Oh, that's cool. She's got a lot of showmanship. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Easter baskets, because I do remember, I definitely remember we had a cool Easter basket every year, and there was always the hollow chocolate bunny inside, and Mm -hmm. I looked forward to that every single year. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have gotten my kids, I guess because it's so ingrained in my memory, having a cool Easter basket every year, my kids have customized Easter baskets. So Mm -hmm. like they have their names embroidered on them and I hide them away for the rest of the year and I only pull them out like the week before Easter. And then they keep it out for a couple weeks after Easter because they still like to do egg hunts in the house. Um, But I'm glad you brought that up because I do remember the Easter baskets. It's a good time. It really is. Now I want a hollow chocolate bunny. All I want is a Reese's egg. Mm, A Reister egg. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I mean, that's an, that's an all-the-time event. Every Reese's, if you put it in a shape, I'm there. I'm like, they taste Arbor better. Day. They taste yeah. better. Yeah. Like yeah. Her, Reese's Christmas trees. Easter mm. egg really gets it on mm. that nice chocolate peanut butter ratio. It's just right. On this note, mm-hmm. I should mention, I never ate Cadbury eggs at growing up. That The whole concept is gross to me. Like cream inside something is disgusting to me. Same. But we went to Europe in our for our anniversary, and it's in late May. So I don't know if that's seasonal in Europe the way it is here, but they were still out there. They are so much better in Europe than they are here. All candy is better in Europe. That may be true. All of it. Like I don't ham. I'm okay. All right. Look. I haven't had a Sour Patch Kid over there, so I don't know. But chocolate, chocolate. European chocolate. Mm-hmm. Okay, because here's the thing. You like, I'm not trying to poo-poo on people who love a Three Musketeers. If that's your thing, good for you. I love a Three Musketeers. Three Musketeers, like anything in that realm, I'm like not really that crazy about. It's mm. fine, but yeah. like I could also go the rest of my life and I'll be okay. But every single candy like that, when I had it in Ireland was the best candy I have ever, ever had. Every single piece. And they have like the Milka and all that. And that's where Cadbury eggs like come from is like England specifically. So mm-hmm. hopefully I'm not stepping on my fact toes there, but I think that's correct. I'm going to start is calling them fact toes. Fact toes. Um, it, <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah. It felt Cadbury, right? Yeah. That's English. Yeah. It didn't get more English. Cadbury. <laughs> that was Scottish. Cadbury. <laughs> God, don't you tread on the scots. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm just kidding. Derailed again. Oh, yeah. Well, I could talk for about candy for days. (laughs) We'll stop it there to say 
What makes you think more about candy than religion? And to, I don't know, take us there, Nikki. We're here to talk about designing women in the South. So we are to episode 20 in season two. This is called How Great Thou Art. Hulu says Charlene faces an ethical crisis and resigns from her church. IMDb says, I gotta take a deep breath. This is a long one. Julia is chosen to sing a solo at the closing ceremony of the Baptist convention. But she worries about a high note in the arrangement of How Great Thou Art. Charlene is upset when she discovers her minister is against allowing women to preach. She tries to persuade her minister to reconsider his position, but when he remains firm, she faces a painful decision. Selena, would you like to comment on the inaccuracy of that IMDb description? Oh, the inaccuracy of it. Well, it wasn't a Baptist convention. I thought that's why you were making that face while I was talking. No, I was actually laughing that they put the thing about Julia first. So I had the same thought. Yeah. I thought you were making the face because as I was reading, I was like, it wasn't a Baptist convention. You're it was right. an interfaith community council meeting or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So you're absolutely right. That is incorrect. So how dare you? <laughs> IMDb user, I love movies 83. That's crazy. And I think the other thing that's funny to me is like, but when she when he remains firm, she faces a painful decision, and it's just like I know they're trying to leave it broad, but I'm like, like to kill him, or <laughs> like what? How painful is the decision? <laughs> yeah, they these were two totally different descriptions. Hulu is like cut to the chase. Charlene's got an issue, mm-hmm. and then IMDb is like, here's everything you ever needed to know right. about everything. See, Anthony took some luggage to the car. <laughs> thing one. <laughs> Let's talk about King James version of the Bible. <laughs> uh, so this one aired February 22nd, 1988. It was written by LBT and it was directed by Harry Thomason. So some general reactions and stray observations. I'm going to start with my general reaction. This is like a really heavy episode. Mm-hmm. There was just so much to process. Well, and unusual. Yes. It's kind of off script a little bit. For a TV show, for Mm. a sitcom, Mm -hmm. uh, to discuss like some pretty, uh, I'll use, I'm going to borrow your word, heavy, like religious issues. Yeah. Um, I don't think that that's uh, an average thing to happen. Yeah. And so I do think that makes it a a standout. I mean, even literally quoting scripture in verse. Right. Like that's. A lot of it. A lot. Yeah. It was probably, I don't know, like a third of the episode. Like a lot of it was about scripture. Oh, they were really tossing it back and forth. So yeah, that was different. So my very first question going into this episode on, I think on that note is, is LBT Southern Baptist? Because this felt really personal. I agree that it felt personal. That was definitely one of the things that stuck with me. I'm going to go out on a limb and say she was at least raised in a Southern Baptist home. I Googled relentlessly and could find nothing, but I did find Mm. this. Um, I found an article and I don't remember where it was, but it was about Harry Thomason. And it said there was little in Thomason's background that suggested he was bound for Hollywood or Washington or any place larger than Little Rock. His father, Travis Thomas Thomason, was a grocer grocer and deacon in a Southern Baptist church that Harry always takes pains to describe as, quote, moderate in order to distinguish it from more hard shell varieties. Oh. So he certainly has some history. I think a hop, skip, and a leap could take you to the fact that she probably does as well. Um, But it just felt really personal. I agree. Well, also, we've talked about this kind of thing, like, where we feel like there's some similarities between Charlene and her her Mm -hmm. and so if i guess that was another reason that it struck me that 
you know, between that, her growing up in a rural area. I'm not saying that there aren't Southern Baptist churches in non-rural areas, but I do feel like there probably is some leanings in more rural areas. It's also just like one of the, I think it's the largest Christian denomination. Southern Baptist? Yeah. I think that's right. So, yeah. Did you have any other general observations? I thought this was a tippy-top episode for Jean Smart. Mm-hmm. Um, I really felt the emotional roller coaster that she was on in this episode. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, I was into it. Mm-hmm. I found myself, like, I really, I felt for her. I, like, wanted to fix it for her. Mm. Um, I felt that anguish. And the passion of her argument for women to be ministers, her disappointment in her own pastor, her agonizingly asking him to see the contributions of women in the church and her sadness when she resigns. Mm -hmm. That all really resonated for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I think it felt realistic because even if you're not a religious person, we, most people have been let down by someone and someone they either admire, look up to, or someone who's a mentor to them. So I did think that all of those things felt very very realistic as well. Mm-hmm. I have one more general mm-hmm. reaction. When she asked Julia to sing for all the girls everywhere, I just about lost it. Really? Yeah, because all I could think of was a certain someone's concession speech in 2016 mm. where maybe she said, Young, to young girls everywhere to not give up, that mm-hmm. they could still do anything, be anything, including reaching the highest office in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like, I don't care what your political leaning is. I feel like if you're a woman, that probably moved you in some way mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. it is not an office that we've been able to reach. For Mm -hmm. so many reasons, and I think reasons that are the undercurrent of this episode. So I don't, I I think the only reason that didn't strike me as hard is because, hmm, how do I say this? It was still, like, it was just like of all the talents that Julia has, she's a beautiful voice, but she could have also just as easily, like, given a speech that was super powerful or made 14 million really good points. Um, And so to reduce her to singing as the way of like showing that girls can do it just was sort of like, okay, Mm. all right. That's an interesting perspective. And that's not to take anything Mm -hmm. away from her singing talent because that's a whole other thing that I'm sure we're going to talk about at some point. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was just sort of like, I don't know, man, that's the, women are known for singing. So I don't really know that Reverend Nunn is going to watch her and say like, I'm so moved by this woman singing. I saw it more of like, Julia was scared. Julia wasn't going to go. And Charlene said, like told her to be brave and go do it for girls everywhere. And to Mm. me, even like, I think getting to the big stuff means being able to do the little stuff and not letting anything stand in the way. Mm-hmm. So I guess singing is, it may be seen, it, it could be seen as like a frivolous stand in, but there's something about that that still, it still worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, even yeah, though, like, I, I thought that whole subplot was, I did, I, I just, it's in my don't likes. Okay. But that part in Charlene's acting or Gene Smart's acting was so strong mm-hmm. that I totally bought it hook, line, and sinker. Oh, yeah. It worked. It worked for the episode. Like, yeah. all of it was fine. I just felt like, huh, that's what we're going to have her do. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
You've got this woman known for tirades. And, and you know, even the other big thing for me about this episode is that it's it's obviously so much all about that scene um, where Reverend Nunn comes to Charlene's house for dinner. Um, and even Julia's, like, questions were not as pointed as I was would expect they would be from her. So she really does get reduced from the person that I would have expected her to be on this issue in this episode. I think it's because they wanted Charlene to shine. Sure, yeah. So, um, but I understand. It did, it did feel like an interesting, now that you bring it up, because I didn't think about it before, but it does feel interesting that they didn't use what is possibly her greatest strength, which is her ability to really... We'll cut somebody. Yeah. Um, but they also, we'll, we'll talk about it in cut lines, but they also cut some of her lines. They did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, did you have a couple of strays? I, I did. Uh, so <laughs> I'm pretty sure in this post-pandemic world that I am Bernice at the beginning of the episode. She comes in for help with the sofa. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is her and Mary Jo. I think Anthony eventually comes in. But basically Mary Jo's like, what about this, Bernice, for your sofa? Uh, and Bernice goes, you don't like the color of my sofa? Uh, Bernice, I thought that's why you came by. Uh, no, this is the first I've heard about it. I, I, Miss Clifton, don't you remember? I, I came and got you and brought you here because you wanted to get your sofa reupholstered. Right. What about it? Uh, nothing. Just a reminder. <laughs> I see what you mean now. That's yep. me. Yep. That's me now. Yep. It's pandemic plus... I can completely attest now being a few weeks out from COVID, like something, it does something to your brain. And I ask the same question probably 14 times now because I'm like, did we talk about this? We did talk about this, right? Yeah. So that was definitely a standout for me. In that same section, we get a Perky throwback, which I just wanted to to flag for a second. So Perky is Julia and Suzanne's mom. She's good friends with Bernice. Um, We met her in season one. We haven't seen her since season one. Yeah. No, because she's been away, but I feel like they're playing tricks on us. I feel like the place keeps changing. Oh. Maybe I'm wrong. I feel like. I knew she was in Europe. I haven't paid close enough attention. This time they said Japan. Oh, did they really? Yeah. So oh, there you go. I can't tell if it's like a writer's room joke. Yeah. Or You mean an LBT joke? Well, she can joke with herself. <laughs> it's a joke between her and Do you Harry. hear what I came up with? Sure did. You're the best. I know. I also am my own biggest cheerleader. So, oh, yes. That's important. I'm hilarious. Isn't that the saying? If you don't cheer yourself on now, who will? Kyle's always like... You make yourself laugh, don't you? And I'm like, I do. That's true. Uh, Did you think that Charlene's dress at the beginning was a rewear? It's that bright blue peplum dress. I thought, so I feel like I've seen a host of rewears and have gotten um, tired of going back and looking. Yeah. Oh, I didn't but go yeah. to the trouble of going back to relook. No, that only just... an idiot would do that me it just seemed like too much work unless anybody out there wants to do it then that makes you wonderful and please dm us (laughs) and tell us what you find as you mine through the episodes (laughs) it was just like a bridge too far for me on this episode there was so much more to look into but the second she showed up on screen i was like i feel like we've seen that before if not the same dress certainly the same color it's a very striking color in like a blue and like almost where it's almost veering into royal purple lane it's a really nice color on her mm-hmm. it is nice i had a stray about charlene saying she also wanted to be a minister mm. she's never told anyone before mm-hmm. 
and last season a country singer. <laughs> and she was a beauty product salesperson when we first meet her in the show on the side, a little side hustle. She's also doing the real estate work on the side. She's really doing the most, huh? <laughs> but who among us hasn't had more life dreams than what we're doing right now? Every, well, I think this is probably considered separate from what we normally do. <laughs> My son wants to be a police officer and a restaurant singer when he grows up. You could probably put those together somehow, I think, because you could you, like keep the piece in the restaurant, maybe, and do the singing. So if they'll let you do it at the a same time, but if singer. you have to keep things separate, um, you'd never sleep because the restaurant singers show up at like five and they don't leave till nine. I love that that's so realistic. <laughs> like not like I want to be the world's greatest singer. Like he's like I want to sing in a restaurant. I want to sing in a restaurant. That's it. And I feel like you could probably say, "Son, we can probably work that out." <laughs> I really, I really dig that. Uh, One of mine too was Charlene talks about her first Bible that she had her name embossed in gold across the front. And that really like is like visceral for me because mm -hmm. I remember having, well, a few, but what really sticks out is like, I think it's like a precious moments Bible. <gasps> Here's a... Time I had stamp one of those. Of course you did. I forgot I had one of those till just now. Well, I forgot it was Precious Moments until just now as I was envisioning it in my head. Yeah. But so it was that. It was this really, really pale pink. And yes, my name was embossed in gold on the front, but it was the 90s. And they misspelled my name every time. Oh, no. Because my maiden name was Craner. They didn't understand that. They certainly didn't understand Selena oh, in the age of Ashley's. How terrible. And so, like, every time it would be, like, Kramer oh. or Selena with an E or, like, it was always wrong. They always got the A right for the middle name. <laughs> Sure. Okay. I really got that one. So it was like, um, part of it, I'd be like, I'd love it because it was like my own like right. thing. And then the other side of me is every time, oh, God. But I think it set me up for life's little disappointments. That's good. Yeah. It was a, it was a lesson. There you go. <laughs> Isn't that what religion is? Absolutely is. <laughs> Big lesson. Do you have more strays? I don't. I have one more stray. Okay. Hal Holbrook in the church, uh -huh. or Reese, and he's listening to Julia sing. I saw him get teary-eyed, then I got teary-eyed. It turned into a whole thing, but I thought that was really sweet, and I like, as much as I don't like Reese, I think I love Hal Holbrook. You stole one of my likes. Oh, that no! That was in my likes section. I'm sorry! I mean... It is what it is. Uh, that's in my like section because yeah. How Great Thou Art is just a beautiful song. It the really way is. that she sang it was beautiful. Yeah. The arrangement was beautiful. She did not look like she was lip syncing, which is a really big thing for me. Oh, she's definitely not. I hate when on TV shows, I know they have to record a really clean version of it, but I hate when it's really obvious they're lip syncing. Mm -hmm. um, and she, it was so natural and beautiful. And then they flash to him and he has got this, he's not even credited in the episode. So he just like was wanted to be there. He was like husband cheerleader on set that day. And he has this tear in his eye and I'm yeah. with you. That's when I lost it. Mm -hmm. This morning, I watched that part again this morning mm -hmm. and I just like tears down my face. It was so beautiful. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, and uh, so, but every time we're going to see her sing now, there's a part of me that all I can think is, 
What liberal rant was this for? Oh. Because there really hasn't been a lot of Julia rants this season. Because we learned a while ago that that was a trade-off between mm-hmm. LBT and um, Dixie Carter. Yep. Yeah. Because she really is more of a conservative in real life. So every time her character has to go on a liberal rant, she gets to sing. Right. Oh, and that's she a got good to sing point. twice this year. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So. Good point. Yeah. Maybe it's coming in one of the future episodes. Well, we don't really know what she considered liberal. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, true. So uh, it could be things that we just aren't identifying with um, yeah. from whatever liberal was 35 years ago. <laughs> you want to talk about some likes now that I've stolen yours? <laughs> it's my only one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the I was going to mention the Bible, her name embossed on the Bible, because I have the same visceral precious moments memory and then also later just a plain white bible with my name in gold on the bottom mm-hmm. that my grandmother gave me i think i still have it at the house and i actually meant to bring it today for show and tell it's the grandparent gift that keeps giving yeah, really i sure every bible i got was from one set of my grandparents or the other god bless my grandmother i she's given me probably every bible i've ever owned and mm-hmm. just every couple of christmases i would get a new bible and then some explainers about how to interpret your bible and then like uh conversations with god and then say a little prayer and grandparents i've got special. i've got a lot of things on the shelf <laughs> <laughs> but not we could do precious some moments bible i don't know where that is what a shame huh yeah because it really had some cute little drawings in it yeah any hoozy uh that i wanted to mention and bernice was just on fire i mean i have bernice and about a hundred exclamation points and then for the win a hundred exclamation points she was she was just on fire. She was amazing. For me, the whole episode was about that scene at Charlene's house mm-hmm. and just the the back and forth um, mm-hmm. between Reverend Nunn and Bernice. And it's so that scene right there crystallizes, I think, for maybe for a lot of people, certainly for me, crystallizes the challenge that I have with organized religion, which yeah. is two very informed people sitting across this, you know, across the table from one another, interpreting the exact same text completely differently. Isn't it interesting how humans can get involved in anything and really screw it up? Yeah. <laughs> screw, yeah. Yeah. I frequently think about something, I think it's, um, uh, it's a Gandhi quote, I think. And someone please hold me accountable if this is wrong. But I think he was known for saying, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Mm, yeah. And I, that just, I'm not saying it, I'm not saying I agree with it necessarily, but I am saying I get it. There was a lot. So I really dug into some of the script in this episode. So it. Oh, it, wow. Okay. I, I had to know. Good for you. I had to know some things. So Julia and Reverend Nunn have an exchange where she says, um, you know, you keep using this, this scripture about the deacon having to be the husband of a wife. Um, and she says, like, I don't understand how that rules out women being ministers. Um, and he says, well, what I think it means in layman's terms is that if you find a woman who's a man, she'll be eligible. So I first had to look up deacon. Um, and cause I don't really under, like, I just, I don't understand like how is a deacon different than a pastor? And then how is that relevant to the script, this particular script? Sure. So this may be part of what you'll cover in extra sugar, but real quick, I'll just say that, um, Baptists traditionally recognize two ordained positions, elders, who are sometimes also called pastors, and deacons. Um, And that's per 1 Timothy 3, which is incidentally what Reverend Nunn is quoting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I googled 1 Timothy 3, 
12, which is the specific one he's quoting, I found at least three other possible interpretations of that scripture. Oh, interesting. Um, divorce is a possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, polyamory is a possibility for what that could be referring to. Okay. Um, Wait, that they're supporting it or they're against it? Th- that the, he has to be the husband of one wife. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. Um, so they could be saying, like, if you're polyamorous, you can't be a deacon. You know, so okay. there's lots of interpretations. Sure. Um, and then uh, this gets into something that um, Bernice touches on, which is translation. So I found oh, something yeah. that said... Um, that if you study Greek, it'll clarify the opposite of his interpretation. So it says the passage is descriptive, not prescriptive. So the entire letter is written about leadership issues in the church. And here, Paul may well be responding to a question Timothy may have asked him about a man who aspired to become an overseer or a bishop. So he may not have been saying women can't serve as deacons or he might not have been saying like it can only be a man he may have just been saying hey you're a man here's something you should know you only should have one wife Mm. so like he wasn't saying women shouldn't be deacons he was just saying in your circumstance i'm saying you're a man so you should know you should only have one wife does that make sense it does i think what's funny is i'm over here thinking like how interesting and um challenging like uh religious studies must be I didn't do any of that yeah. in school because I wasn't going down the theology route or anything. But um, it must be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, wow. And there were yeah. a few times when Bernice and Reverend Nunn were going back and forth with one another that you could hear. It was so obvious to Bernice one interpretation. And yes. It was so obvious to Reverend Nunn the other interpretation. And Well, and, and how we – I think it um, – speaks to the psychology of how we interpret things because we interpret things through our existing biases and we exer- we interpret things through our experience and we interpret things through our environment. And what we're seeing is those things are different for both of these individuals. Mm-hmm. But one interpretation is impressing in an entire group of people and the other one isn't. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not passing any judgment. I'm just saying that's just my interpretation of the situation. So the other high point of the episode for me on that note is Charlene leaving her church and telling Reverend Nunn essentially, like, oh, I'm not yeah. questioning God. I'm questioning you very powerful it's that's super powerful to me um but also i think that that maybe speaks to part of you know religion and what you believe can be a journey and it doesn't have to be the thing that one person tells you and i loved that they showed charlene critically thinking about an issue and saying we're not on the same page yeah i appreciate you i respect you We are not on the same page about one of my core values, and I can't live like this anymore. Sure. Your interpretation isn't working for me. Right. And I I really liked that part of the episode. Yeah. Wow. I want to go back. So really, Bernice was the thing that was the focus of what I liked. One thing that I wanted to share about why I liked her as the messenger, I thought they did a really nice job of giving her almost extra silly lines in the beginning mm-hmm. because it packed that much more punch when she lands them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, that made it stronger for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made it surprising. I think it did give it a nice humor. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I think it was a really good decision on LBT's part. Mm -hmm. And there's enough mystery surrounding her that there's no way we would have known that her father was a pastor. Yeah. So that was, that was everything. Yeah. That was great. Did you have any other likes? Okay. I mean, I do. I like, I like lots of things, but nothing on my list. What about things you didn't like? Yeah, I have done the B plot for Julia. Yeah. I just uh it, uh it's like they were taking it too seriously. Mm. And so I just I I didn't care that mm-hmm. she was singing at the closing ceremony or um at least all these times that she talked about being nervous seemed a little unnecessary. I do think that was trying to build up to this moment that her and Charlene have. But I think because we didn't know that's where we were going, like along the way, I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. Charlene's having an existential crisis. Right. Can we get back to Charlene? Right. Julia. Also, it, in fairness to what you were saying before, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Julia doesn't get nervous. Which is what Charlene said to her. She's like, you don't get nervous, Julia. This is weird. Yeah. Um, there were some cut lines again where they talk about various times she's had trouble yes. singing. So there's a little history there. Um, and maybe they should have left that in because that would have been helpful, I yeah. think, too, to make it feel more realistic. Yeah. So that we're not like this brazen, mm. ballsy lady suddenly mm-hmm. is afraid to sing a couple notes in front of someone. I mean, not that it's not a hard song. but I agree with you. The first few times I watched it, I was just like, what, what are we watching? What's happening? Why, yeah. why are we wasting time on this? I will say Dixie Carter's acting around that whole, like, the way she stares off into space at first when they're trying to get her to tell him what's going on, how she shows her nervousness. It was amazing. I really mm-hmm. did. I thought it was just very well done. She did. She does. She does distracted well. And then at the end, when she was singing, her body language and the way her face looked, it just communicated so many things, mm. like pride in herself. You could, I, I could feel like she believed the words that were coming out of her mouth. Like she genuinely registered the song. Sure. So, well, I only have one other thing that I didn't like. Okay. Charlene's minister. Ugh! What a putz. Just a real schmeckle. Mm. Those are my exact words. Mm. Just didn't like him. You didn't like him. Mm-mm. I didn't like the words coming out of his mouth. Well, that's all you are to me. <laughs> I think it was come. I. Th- I think it was coming from a place of conviction. And it always is. Yeah. And that's the problem for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, but they're such a nice person. Oh, but uh, they're oppressing people. Mm-hmm. So your niceness doesn't count. And that's, you know, we've talked about the difference between nice and kind. Mm-hmm. That's why nice gets a bad rap. Because mm-hmm. of stuff like that. Yeah. The thing I didn't, one of the things I wrote down was, uh, one of the things I didn't like about this ex, this whole episode was sexism disguised as piety. So for me... Yes. Because I'm female, um, this doesn't work for, like, it's almost as if some of the biggest tenets of the religion are built to, to your point, oppress women. And the idea that someone can so believe that to be the truth is hard for me to register. But at the same time, if you're in a religion, if you're in a church, you want to follow someone who believes their convictions. And I feel like he was sitting there listening to the women say these things and he was acknowledging them and he was um, validating them, but just saying, I disagree with you. And I agree that that part was, 
a slight saving grace mm-hmm. in terms of at least he wasn't like, and we cast you out. He, he didn't cast them out and he wasn't yeah. condescending to them. Mm, he was incredibly condescending to Bernice. So you much so, so? That, so much so that in the episode she calls him out. And she says, and I know that's not bemused condescension across your face right now. See, I didn't get that sense. Oh, um, I did. I felt like, hmm. I felt like he was. Seemed tickled. <laughs> See, I didn't get that sense. I felt like he he was like, that's a good point. I mean, that's a good point. And here's just another one that I think makes more sense. I don't know that he acted that way towards anyone but Bernice. She's just entertaining. I mean, but, I also just feel like she's entertaining. Yeah. But so I think her we delivery have to is funny. Take it at face value that if she felt and she said it, that's what LBT is setting up in the episode. You yeah. know, that it w- there was some condescension at play. Hmm. I've seen a lot but, more condescending in this show. Uh, and I feel like if the, if mm-hmm. she really wanted, I just feel like he could have been way more condescending. I think he he's a really charismatic guy. I think, the reverend, you mean? Yeah, mm. and I think he like I I do I generally I genuinely think that he is um uh like I think his face is nice. I'm not even saying attractive. I mean you're attractive, man. But you know what I'm saying? Like there's just something about him. He's got a good energy about him. I think that makes him perhaps read a little softer than maybe he is. I the only reason I'm leaning into this one is not because I liked what he said, not because I liked what he believed. I wanted to not like this man. Mm-hmm. Like, I really wanted to be annoyed by him. And I really, really was not. Mm-hmm. Um, I d- would have done what Charlene did, and I would have left the church because I disagree with him. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have left because I felt like he was condescending to me. I wouldn't have left because he disrespected me. Mm-hmm. I would have just left because I would have been like... He clearly cared about Charlene, and I agree with that. Um, I still don't like him. I don't... I think it was society... <laughs> I agree that conviction is important. I don't agree in conviction covering up things that are not. If you are trying to take away the ability for a whole group of people to do a thing, to me, I don't care. As long as that thing isn't illegal, I'm going to see a problem with that. And that's what I see happening. With his convictions in mind, I understand. I'm, I'm glad that he feels conviction. That's great. I don't think it's because he's a bad person. Not at all. I think it's because of the society around him. So, yes. I almost feel... Maybe as you're talking and I'm listening, I'm thinking I almost feel sorry for him. And I'm thinking of a particular pastor that I've run into in my own life who is super likable, has a fantastic family, is a really great guy. And he just genuinely believes some of these same things. Mm -hmm. He just genuinely thinks like he's, again, not condescending to women. Mm -hmm. I think at a macro level, you could say he's disrespectful to women because he doesn't think that they belong in these positions. You could say that, but Mm -hmm. that's his religious belief. Um, And he just genuinely believes it. And I kind of look at that and I'm like, huh, that's sad for you. And so I don't dislike him. I don't like him. I just, I would have imagined she would have made that character someone you actively dislike. But I guess you can't because Charlene smart. likes them. Well, but that also, I think then the the whole argument would be so one-sided that it would be a terrible ar- argument. It's kind of like a, I, I think it was really important that she made him a likable guy. Because I but think the situation is complicated. I don't like him because I don't like what, I don't I have such a problem with what he is putting out into the world. Hmm. But him as a guy, could we like have a 
well, we wouldn't have a beer together because he's Southern Baptist and I don't drink. <laughs> but like, could we go and have a coffee together? Absolutely. I'm sure he's a fascinating, lovely guy. I should probably tease apart the fact that I don't like what he stands for, not mm. I don't like who he is. And we're also talking about a character, so it's starting to sound right. a little silly. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying. So, yeah. Um, but there you well, go. There See? you go. But I tell you, you can't say that the episode isn't thought provoking. So I it think is. it's, anyways, I think it's smart that she made him nice because I think if she made him an evil guy with a handlebar mustache standing over a woman who is wrapped up on the railroad tracks, it would be really obvious. And I don't think that. I don't think she wanted it to be that obvious. And she probably has. Anyways, I shouldn't put these emotions on her because I don't know. But I imagine that she has a reverence for the church and a reverence for Christianity. Because I didn't read any of this as disrespectful. I read it as her opinion on something that read to me as an important thing to her. Women in the ministry. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm like, and on that note, stick around for extra sugar because we'll be talking about <laughs> women in the ministry. So, lots to think about. You, we'll be thinking for a while. But do you have? Is there anything else that you want to talk about in the not likes? Uh, what would you like to rate this sucker? I'm ready. Okay. I'm going with Bernice Bible blowouts. Oh, oh, that sounds like a poo. Oh, <laughs> no. She's it blown out her, in a good way. It was her victory. Yeah. Uh, I did it. I gave it a five out of a five. Oh, nice. Mm, I went all the way in. Wow. I yeah. I think it's maybe my only second of the season, but I feel like I've maybe been a little more generous this season. It doesn't matter. I thought this episode was really perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to watch for me because there's discomfort. Uh, but when you break down that scene between Bernice and Reverend Nunn, it was just really beautifully done. Mm-hmm. To your point, choosing Bernice to be that messenger was just a like inspired choice. Mm-hmm. Maybe divinely inspired. Who Maybe knows? divinely. It was just like cherry picking the perfect person to share those messages. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved how it's set up, how clearly people can interpret the exact same thing completely oppositely. And that's the problem. We just don't know what was intended we are only at the mercy of someone to tell us and we have to trust that that person in the middle is delivering the message that was intended to be delivered faith is not for the faint of heart yeah it's really not um and so i think people either choose to believe in a thing or they don't and it does get complicated and it does get dicey and um you know uh real quickly before i get onto my rating i'm just gonna say uh Uh, We talked a little bit about this off air, but I think this is also a little bit of an uncomfortable talk for me. Um, But uh, let's see, I was raised in the church. Um, I've done a lot of things in the church. I've been very involved in the past. Um, You know, my grandfather's a preacher. Um, So, you know, it's, this is very, this has been very in and of my life. And at the same time, I have always been a very convicted person myself, and I've never shied away from saying how I feel about something. And I don't ever want to come across as disrespectful to anyone, but if I disagree with something, I have to say it. Like, Mm. I just think, I just think I'll die Mm. if I don't say it. And I've said as much to my grandfather before. If I disagreed about something, and especially the way that I felt like women were relegated to really interesting roles in the church and at home, I made my opinion clear. 
and I didn't really care what it bumped up against in any religious text. And that's just always how strongly I felt about that. And I'm talking about when I was seven, eight, and nine years old. And um, so I just, but I do want to say I don't, even those, these are just my opinions. And I also, I think everyone is entitled to their opinion. And I think everyone's entitled to say how they feel. I think that is one of the most beautiful gifts that we have in this entire world. On that note, I gave this a 4.8 out of 5 shaky mansplanations. Mm. Um, I thought it was surprising, but in a refreshing way. And uh, we've already talked about this um, to some extent, but I am guessing that this is something that was near and dear to LBT's heart. And in previous episodes, we've talked about how she has like this amazing way of taking something that's like this complex social issue and making it entertaining and making you want to tune in instead of tune out. Mm. Um, Not everybody has the ability to do that. And she does. Mm. I think it's usually when she's the strongest. Um, Except for that Dashkoff episode (laughs) where she tried to convince us to read. (laughs) Not on my watch, LBT. (laughs) Not as long as there's Instagram. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I thought it's been one of, uh, it's been a top for me, I think for the season. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about some references? I don't have anything until we get up to references I had to look up or that we need to talk about. Oh, okay. So I'll try and run through these. I didn't have any combinations. I did have an eighties one that stood out to me. It's from a cut line. Oh, see, we should probably have a rule about that, huh? I know. I almost went into it and then I was just like, no, Kiwi. nobody else knows the lines. Yeah. Okay. Well, Pee Wee Herman. (laughs) He was referenced. He was referenced. Now, I feel bad going into any of it, but I did actually watch Pee Wee's Playhouse Mm -hmm. when I was a little kid. Yeah. Um, It's weird. It's weird. Like, what were they letting us watch when we were kids? I also watched it. Well, that was made for kids. I know. It's weird. Oh, yeah. Like a little trippy, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of stuff that was made for kids over time has been kind of trippy. So, you know. Pee-wee was weird. Yeah. So, but what I didn't realize is that, now I do remember the movie. So the movie actually has led to the series before all of that. What I didn't know is that it started as a stage act. Mm. And that. I did know that actually, because I looked him up recently. Oh, okay. On a completely unrelated note. Huh. I feel like he's had some, he's hit some rough times. Well, I think so, but his stage act though is more adult and then they made it more childlike. And I wonder how that decision got made. And that part is kind of weird. And you got to wonder what led to those decisions. And the translation didn't fully happen. (laughs) It was not a successful translation to children. Yeah. It was weird. Have you watched an episode recently? A couple years ago. They did it for Netflix, right? Like, I think like four years ago. Yeah. They brought him back. That tells you how long it's been. Because... He was charged in 1991 um, for public masturbation. Mm-hmm. And um, I, sorry, I laugh because not because that's funny, but because I just said masturbation on twice. this podcast <laughs> twice. Um, so, but anyways, uh, and what it, 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 it was in a, a movie theater. And um, anyways, like I and like an adult movie. Theater, I right? knew that that happened. That was 91. I was six years old. That's how pervasive it was. Mm-hmm. Like, I think my mom, like, because, like, it was on the news, it was everywhere. I think my mom had to, like, 
like low-key explained to me, helped me understand like what happened. And it was like a whole weird thing. Six years old. I'm not prepared to talk about this today, but I did end up down a rabbit hole. And I think that might be a good example of how fierce the fame machine is. Mm. He was, it was like a, um, I think it was an adult movie theater. So mm-hmm. he was already sort of in, a, if there's ever an appropriate environment for that, that's where he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but this thing that he did in his personal life became so publicly discussed. I think at one point, like he fled the country or something. Like he had to hide out I think because the paparazzi out, yeah. were so aggressive. Yeah. Um, and it's just a really, it's a fierce machine. Yeah. So I'm not prepared to talk about it, but there are some facts behind it that I did know at one point in time that just almost made me sad. I feel very bad for what happened to him. It was like, it, it just, it was way beyond the pale mm-hmm. um, of what was called for. And I think it, again, like in, in the show where we speak to the times and how things have changed, um, they d- did a lot of things to him that I feel like uh, were based in homophobia. It's fascinating so. to me how a person who's put through the ringer like that just gets up the next day and puts one foot in front of the other and just keeps going forward because yeah. when everyone in the world it feels like hates you and I know has villainized you. It, it may not seem like it because we're trying to put out a podcast, but I really enjoy my life being anonymous. <laughs> You know, it's scary. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, once people know about your life, the judgments and the, I don't know. Yeah. Anyhow, Pee Wee Herman, man, am I right? Right. <laughs> you just could have skipped over that, that cut line, Selena, but no, you just couldn't do it. Southern things. <clears throat> so at some point, Charlie mentions that I guess who's going to be playing with or like while Julia is singing is going to be the Atlanta Philharmonic. That bothered me because I was like, wait, they mean the Atlanta Symphony? And so I looked into it, and as far as I can tell, unless you tell me differently, and you may, maybe you know, there wasn't actually an Atlanta Philharmonic until 2004 or five. Mm. So, uh, anyways, like, I put that in my references to look up, and I actually didn't find the Atlanta Philharmonic. So I just came to the conclusion that, yeah, it was made for TV uh, way of talking about the uh, Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. Uh, which was, the the name was decided on in 1947. So that's what it would have been called by the time this episode had aired. It just seemed like a real easy grab. But these are in pre-Google days. I might be philharmonicing it too. Like, I'd be like, sure, the philharmonic. Okay, so references that we need to talk about. Well, you took one of mine. Uh, the other one was the Interfaith Community Council. You find them? I did not. Uh, it, again, this one feels like a generic made-for-TV name. Yeah. But I think there probably was some kind of interfaith group that was meeting and talking about church things it in most right. major cities. We do actually have Interfaith Atlanta now, mm-hmm. uh, which was previously called the Faith Alliance of Metro Atlanta. And their mission is to promote understanding, respect, prayer, interaction, and unity among the diverse faiths in the greater Atlanta region and to advance the influence of voices of faith communities for the common good. Wow. Be hard to get on a t-shirt. So we have an interfaith, we do have an interfaith group now. So I don't think the the specific thing they mentioned was real, but the concept is. Yeah. What else you got? Uh, King James, the Mm -hmm. King James version of the Bible. Uh, I, you know, I have a lot of notes here. I'm trying to figure out how much of it's useful. (laughs) Well, it's only like uh, 70, 90, like 400 years of history. So let me boil it down. <laughs> yeah. Get was, that into a sentence, please. He was the king of Scotland and England in 1500s, 1600s. 
Um, his mother was Mary, Queen of Scots, mm-hmm. which I feel like is important to know. Yep. Uh, most notably, for the purposes of this episode, he sponsored the translation of the Bible into English, which is known as the King James Version. I found something that this goes beyond my religious historical knowledge, but uh, I think the King James Version is oftentimes talked about as the first English translation. It was, in fact, not, um, but rather it borrowed from pre- previous English translations. Um, so there were at least a couple other previous translations. Uh, his Bible was the work of 54 scholars and clergymen who met over seven years in six, man, six nine-man subcommittees called companies. And the Bible was created to try to settle differences between Puritans, a faction of the Anglican Church, and the Church of England. I also found, I don't know how far you want me to go. Uh, the other thing about the Bible is that it's, about his version of the Bible, is that it's written in very flowery, almost like Shakespearean language. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was partly intentional. They wanted it to sound very pretty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the idioms from the Bible have slipped into everyday use. So you might not realize, like, sour grapes, drop in the bucket, uh, pearls before swine, fly in the ointment, eat, drink, and be merry are all biblical terms. Yeah, it gets – so, like, the, the Bible is, like, a beautiful piece of literature. And um, it – so I also look things up, but it looks like we had different things. Hmm. So today it's still one of the most printed books ever. Hmm. It remains the most famous Bible translation in history. Um, and – I think relevant to kind of relevant to this episode is this I is this idea that <laughs> so he commissioned this translation in the early 1600s uh, for selfish reasons basically mm-hmm. so he so it is true what you were saying about this idea of like trying to settle some issues between these like different sects mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a hard word to make sound good anyways um but he was really also trying to consolidate his own power but inadvertently he winds up making the bible more accessible than ever before which is kind of funny i thought and uh interestingly because see the bible was solely controlled by the church prior to this translation so you and me wouldn't have our precious moments bibles you know and that translation now included passages that usually were not read out loud in church, including ones about limiting the power of the king. So he inadvertently winds up put, like opening people's minds to this concept um, of the fact that, oh, maybe this isn't the greatest person ever, and maybe we do have some autonomy. In At what point do you think that registered with him? <laughs> like... Do you think it's like he gets the first copy of it with its gilded pages and he's like, I'm so proud my name is on it. Oh, crap. Mutiny. It makes you wonder, too, though, like, did these commissions know what they were doing? Mm, Yeah. And was there something more at play there? Were they kind of heroes of their time? I'm going to make stuff up now. (laughs) First off, have we... Have we gone from historical fact to Selena weaving a narrative? It's definitely the movie I would make. <laughs> Ridley Scott's <laughs> The Bible Commissions. <laughs> there's action, adventure, there's a love story somewhere in there. Something. <laughs> More references? I have the two uh, missionaries that Charlene mentioned, Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon. 
basically, they're both missionaries. Mm-hmm. Um, Annie Armstrong, Southern Baptist Church can, churches continue to annually collect the Easter offering for North American missions in her name. And she died in 1938. Uh, and then Lottie Moon died in 1912. She was a Southern Baptist missionary to China, and the annual Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions has raised a total of $1.5 billion per mission since 1988. And it finances half of the international missions budget of the Southern Baptist Convention every year. And lots of articles pointed to the fact that she was low-key slash high-key feminist and not so quiet about it. Yeah. I mean, not that I care. Um, so I... So... In the episode, Charlie mentions that she starves to death in China. So I got interested in that aspect to see, like, what happened. And basically, she gave everything that she could, money and food, to those around her. And it winds up severely affecting her physical and mental health. The year she died, she only weighed 50 pounds. And she was sent home because she was so unhealthy, but she actually died on the journey home. Sounds like a terrible idea. Send a person in poor health home. Before you had a jet that could get her there in just a few hours. Did you see how tall she was? Mm-mm. She's four foot three. So I went down this whole rabbit hole. I'm like, on is the 50 BMI? pounds off? Right. <laughs> so an average person at four foot three should weigh 70. I'm just guessing on a frame that small to get down to 50 would be incredibly dangerous. Because on a five foot two frame, I can tell you that maybe you gain five pounds and it looks like it's 20. So I'm just guessing the opposite would be true too. And I mean, no matter what, 50 pounds is very tiny. Uh, I thought, so some interesting facts about her, <clears throat> cause she just seems like a really fascinating person. So she received one of the first master of arts degrees awarded to a woman by a Southern institution. And then, um, she does have specific ties to Georgia and one being she opened a female high school in Cartersville and she was also ministering to families in Bartow County. Oh, that's close by, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I just, think that's north. That like north sounds of right. Marietta. Yeah. Um, we just live here. Uh, most <laughs> importantly. Georgia has the most, mo- the most counties or like the second most counties in the nation. Oh, so we have a lot. It really is a lot. It is a lot. Okay. That makes sense. I'm going to go with that. That's why I don't know. There's so many. Um, most importantly, she fought for women missionaries to have the freedom to minister and have an equal voice in mission proceedings. And based on what you were saying about her being, um, a low key, not so low key feminist. So she is considered by some to be a pioneer for gender equality. And she actually wrote from China in 1893, what women have a right to demand is perfect equality. Seems very ahead of the times for 1893. Something I read was like saying that like her going to China to be a missionary was almost intentional to get her away from the purview of the male controlled Southern Baptist church. So she could pretty much just do what she needed to do out there. And they didn't really pay attention to her because she's a woman somewhere else in the world doing good things that make the church look good. Yeah. They're just like, you go do your thing. Meanwhile, she's writing letters that say things like this. I could see that think i read that she's also she was also like a really strong writer Mm. so wasn't everybody in the 1800s and 1900s though comparatively i'm gonna go with yeah (laughs) i'm gonna go with yes (laughs) since we often choose to be illiterate in this country so well what are you gonna do oh well i know what we're gonna do are we gonna talk about how great thou art real quick 
I hope so. Because sure. I also looked it up because uh, I was just curious about it. It was written in 1885 and it was originally Swedish. Oh. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. I would not have expected that. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think, and I didn't really go down way a rabbit hole on this. I think it was translated to English in the 60s or the 70s. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a recent song when she was singing it. Yeah. And it's a song that's like ingrained in my mind as something I'll probably never forget. Yeah. It was really beautiful to that hear. It was really lovely. Do you want to talk about some cut lines? Or do you have more references? No, I don't. Okay. Um, yes, we can. Uh, the first cut line I had, when Julia was talking about her big solo, between her saying she can't sing alone and Bernice asking when her performance is, they cut all, the whole, we talked about this earlier, the whole spot where she basically said all the times that oh, yeah. uh, she's had trouble singing in public. Uh, she wants it to be perfect. She um, clutches up. Her throat closes up. Her mom had planned a recital for her at the library. That's when she sounded like Pee Wee Herman. Um, and at Ed- Esther Cutsinger's wedding, she was so bad, the child organist cussed her out afterwards. <laughs> um, so I feel like that's just, it sets the stage for how terrified this non, this unflappable person is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they should have left that in, but... I do, too. The other part I think they should have left in is another exchange between Bernice, which I feel... Bernice and the Reverend, which I feel like you maybe just alluded to. She says she's um, cooking all all circuits. Then she also says, it seems to me that people are always interpreting the Bible in a way that will support their own personal prejudices. This may have turned me off of him. He says, oh, you mean like certain feminists who would have us believe that God is a woman? And I guess it's Bernice. Maybe it's Julia. I think it's Julia. Says, I don't know many feminists would say that. I believe God God is a spirit. Uh, Bernice must say, well, I certainly don't believe God's a woman. Why not? Because if he were, (laughs) this is my favorite line, probably ever, then men would be the ones walking around wearing high heels, taking my doll and having their upper lip waxed. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she says again, uh, taking into the historical context of these teachings, uh, in this passage you're talking about, Paul was simply referring to a few big-mouthed women who had converted over from their pagan religion and were causing a lot of trouble in the church. Um, just drives home the point that people can interpret things various and sundry ways. Well, and I think historically, uh, religious texts have been used um, very specifically to support personal prejudices. So, I mean, um, it's been used to support racism, sexism, homophobia. I mean, it just has. I mean, it's marriages between a man and a woman. Oh, boy. So, (laughs) you know, it's basically just like confirmation bias, you know. Um, And so, and it's just just too darn bad. (laughs) So... Uh, yep. (laughs) It is too darn bad for the point that Charlene says. Like, for what possible reason could God not want women to spread the word? Mm -hmm. What reason? Yeah, keep teeing me up, lady. The minister, of course, counters that with, it's not for us to question, which I feel like is the easiest way to shut down a question. Yeah, it's, it's divine, so we can't talk about it. I'm like, nobody said we can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Nobody said that. Otherwise, there wouldn't be all of these schools dedicating to studying the thing top to bottom, soup to nuts, and everything in between, you know? So... Well, yeah, we got more to say, and Selena's got way more in extra sugar. <laughs> um, so our next episode... Is episode 21. Ted Bear. 
Yeah. Just keep going along. Men I don't like. Um, we'd love everyone to follow along with us and engage. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Sweet Tea and TV. You can email us at sweetteatvpod at gmail.com. And we got a lovely email this last week, Selena, from listener Colleen. And I fangirled over it for a little while. (laughs) I definitely texted Selena. I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. And she said she's listening and enjoying it. So it was very exciting for me. It absolutely made my night. It was lovely. Yeah, it's very sweet. Thank you. It really means a lot when, uh, not that we ever expect anybody to, but it means a lot when we get some feedback so that, you know, we know that we don't need to adjust. That's true. It was lovely. Uh, and our website, www.sweetteatv.com, where we put all of our show notes, which include our references. And we've got extra sugar this week. I think you might have already mentioned this, but you're talking about women in the ministry. That's right. It's going to be a good one. Well, you know what that means. What, Selena? We'll see you around the bend. Welcome to this week's edition of Extra Sugar. So, the episode's religious themes, and specifically its look at women in um, Southern Baptist ministry, inspired me to dig deeper. Okay. Uh, So, what I do want to say is, uh, unfortunately, (laughs) unlike the rest of this, it's going to be me talking a lot. But what I want you to do is stop me and let me know if you have any questions. Because if you have questions, it's very possible that anyone else that's listening may have the same question. Teeing up tough questions. Got it. Perfect. <laughs> and I can't promise I, I'll know the answer, but I'll do my very best. And if it's something that's really outstanding, we'll find a way to make sure that we bring that back. Outstanding. <laughs> We're starting a mini series on... <laughs> Our extra sugar, extra sugar. <laughs> right. Um, just a little sweeter. So specifically, uh, what I wanted to know is... What is the Southern Baptist Convention's current position on women pastors and how much or little have things evolved since 1988? Because it felt like something was brewing, no? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but first, I want to do a couple of things. I want to include a disclaimer about this entire piece. And then I think that we need to do a quick primer on some of the terminology and the players. Because mm-hmm. what's more fun than learning? So <laughs> Terminology guide. <laughs> So buckle in, guys. It's going to be a wild ride. So my disclaimer is that today I am going to focus specifically on the Southern Baptist Convention because Charlene is Southern Baptist. Mm -hmm. But I don't want people to think that we're picking on um, the SBC specifically. Rather, I had to focus this discussion or we'd be here for 22 years because there's a lot and there's a lot of difference between different denominations. Uh, I will, however, link to a 2014 article that names the U.S. religious groups that generally do and don't allow the ordination of women so that you can see that for yourselves. In terms of the terminology, designing women specifically use the term minister, while most of what I read referred to pastors. For the purposes of this segment, either term refers to someone who teaches or preaches to the congregation and or is a leader in the church. Um, Nikki, you also gave us some helpful background on different positions in the Southern Baptist Church as well. So rewind if you don't remember. (laughs) It's there. Also to be ordained. I just don't want to take for granted. Like, I don't know how much or how little people know. I I did go to a Southern Baptist Church for a while when I was younger, so I know some things, but I certainly don't know everything. Not even 
not even an eighth of everything. Um, but to be ordained means one has gained official status as a priest, minister, or other religious authority through a sanctioned process. Through my reading, what that process really differs depending on what denomination it is, where you are, what church it is, uh, like all kinds of different factors. So that could look fairly different from place to place, but um, some places are really rigorous, other places are less rigorous. It's a lot. Okay. What is the Southern Baptist Convention, or SBC, as I will probably be referring to it for my, the rest of my life? Yeah. So I would call it a non-governing body of the Southern Baptist churches across the country. And don't let the Southern part throw you because SBC is all across the country. Mm -hmm. um, they refer to themselves as a collection of like-minded churches working in cooperation with one another to impact the whole world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Does that mean there are Southern Baptist churches out West? Sure. And like in the Midwest? Okay. Absolutely. And they call themselves Southern Baptists. They're still part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Okay. Um, there are also Baptist churches that are not part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Got it. Okay. Okay. So the SBC is the largest Protestant denomination in the country, and they're guided by what's called the Baptist Faith and Message. I'm thinking of it as like a constitution specifically mm. for the SBC. It's also referred to as the BFNM, which <laughs> consists of several, I don't know, just something, just sometimes you got to laugh, you know, I don't know. I'm going to have fun with that acronym later. <laughs> yes. Um, so, but this consists of several scripture based position statements. And this was last revised, like as a whole in 2000, it hasn't been a, a, around as long as the SBC itself. Okay. Um, this like, like constitution, if you will. I'm sure someone will absolutely hate me calling it that, but they are guiding principles. Mm -hmm. um, they uh, have been around since 1925. The convention, on the other hand, was formed in Augusta, Georgia. So there's a Georgia connection for you in 1845. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing we can't overlook, okay? I'm not saying this is the case today, but let's talk a little bit about how the, this convention formed in the first place. I honestly didn't know this until I looked into this um, a few months ago. I think we've talked about on the show that you and I watched season two a long time ago. Mm. And so this episode sparked a lot of interest then. I started researching at that time. What I did not know was that it was formed largely over the issue of slavery Southern Baptists disagreed with the anti-slavery attitudes and activities of Northern Baptists, and about a century later, they would oppose the civil rights movement. But in 1995, they denounced racism, and they also repudiated their past defense of um, slavery and their opposition to civil rights. And at least at that time, in the 90s, they were one of the most ethnically diverse Protestant denominations in North America. Really? It's kind of... Interesting, right? You wouldn't necessarily think so. Hmm. I'm going to tell you, it gets confusing. Well, I was going to say, if it's a numbers game and they're the biggest Protestant denomination, oh, then sure. Oh, sure. I see yeah. what you're saying. Um, and I couldn't find anything sure, any I'm more recent. Pressure. I'm not going to pressure you on the numbers, Selena. We'll just both agree that we were both like, <laughs> You know I'll crack at the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> she started getting tears in her eyes. <laughs> Don't make me count. Um, so... Uh, that's all background for you, and I am both sorry and you're welcome. But I just wanted us to all kind of go in on the same page. Let's go back to that main question, though, in case y'all forgot where we are, what we're doing here. Who I am. Right. Uh, I just woke Nikki up. 
So what is the Southern Baptist Convention's current position on women pastors? That's answered by the BFNM. Or again, <laughs> I like that she laughs the same every time, don't y'all? Um, <laughs> Sounds like a sandwich. You know, it's mm, sandwiches. <laughs> Again, the BFNM is the Baptist Faith and Message, which states, while both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. So, from what I've gathered, this stance is widely followed by those churches who are part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Okay. However, how strictly it's interpreted and followed varies quite a bit. So you've got more conservative churches on one end, and they don't allow women to serve in these roles at all. And in some cases, it's extended to any leadership positions, not mm. just pastor. Mm -hmm. In some churches, women are only allowed to teach or preach other women and children, but not men. Mm. Some churches allow women to minister, but they're not allowed to be pastors or elders. I like a nice glass ceiling in the church, don't mm, you? Sure. And then more progressive leaning Better churches. Better to see heaven from. Oh my goodness, that is beautiful. Mm. Um, more progressive leaning churches allow women to fill any position except that of senior pastor. So then last May, things came to a boiling point when Saddleback Church, uh, this is one of the largest churches in the convention. This is in California, by the way. Oh, okay. They ordained three women as staff pastors. I want to stop real quick and mention something. When I say large, you want to take a guess at how many people are there each week? 3,500. 24 to 28,000. That's like college football size. Mm -hmm. It's crazy, isn't it? Thousand. Where did they go? I found like different numbers. So that's why I said it's one of the largest because something said it's like the second largest, the fourth largest in that range of 24 to 28. I don't care. 24,000, 28,000. of believers in one place. That is a lot. That's um, people rising up. <laughs> and then watching football afterwards. <laughs> They're all there. It's convenient. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> all right. And scene. Anyways. So I don't know if this timing for ordaining these women was strategic or not. But uh, the next month was the SBC's annual meeting. Mm. So it feels a little strategic. I thought you meant during a pandemic when nobody was paying attention. Oh. <laughs> we have bigger problems. Let them be ministers. Who cares? Oh, no. We'll still have this be a problem. Don't you worry. <laughs> it's still. Sure, uh, some sizable portion of the world's population is dying, but women <laughs> in the ministry? Anyway, so I was really floored by how much their annual meeting was covered in the press. Like, I mean, by huge news outlets and every like stripe in between. Because of this issue? Because of a bunch of different issues. Sure. Okay. okay. But also like, I just think these things are widely covered and I had no idea. I think idea. that's true. Yeah. Especially that in like election years. I'm glad that you mentioned election years. Okay. So first that makes sense. And there's obviously some things about, uh, the church, some churches are, uh, you know, they back different candidates, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, they're, hmm. The idea that church and state are separate. That's an idea, right? It's laughable. But it sure is an idea. Laughable. You cannot convince me of that. What was crazy for me is how much these things sounded like news for a congressional race or something. Yeah. These, um, and I do mean guys, are holding 
press conferences. I mean, it's just like the whole bit Mm -hmm. and it's very political. Mm -hmm. Um, There were questions swirling in the lead up uh, to the annual meeting, whether Saddleback could be kicked out for this move to ordain these women. But as far as I could tell, they're still part of the convention. I mean, I literally just looked up the membership. And they're they still probably in there. still pay their money. So, and you know, I don't know how that works. I have to admit, I didn't look into that part of it mm-hmm. because I was like, keep Nikki here five minutes longer, <laughs> live. I'm not a horrible person, you guys. <laughs> I'm thinking of you. <laughs> but I think that's a very good question. Um, okay. So I did find that the newly elected president, he was just elected last year. His name's Ed Litton. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's L-I-T-T-O-N. But anyways, I found his reaction to the thing, the whole issue interesting. So I, I don't, I would call him probably moderate based on what I read. He's definitely more progressive than very conservative folks who are part of the SBC. Um, but he still believes and follows the BF&M. I'm sorry, Nikki. But he wants the widest interpretation possible. Widest. <laughs> Yes, that's W-I-D is <laughs> in dog, E-S-T. It just feels important to clarify. I think in this case, it absolutely <laughs> feels really important to clarify. So thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so he says in a press conference that uh, the BF&M doesn't specify anything about ordination. And he said that the local association should work it out. And then they would quote unquote, toe the line. I'm telling you, this whole thing is a thing. <laughs> Uh, I like being told I can work it out myself. That's nice, right? I like that. That's better than what it could be. That's very American. I'm just saying like out of all the interpretations that he could be taking, that is probably better. I also wanted to share this one thing that I read that I think gives us some insight into him and where he like kind of stands on things. Uh, He did catch some flack over letting his wife, Kathy, help him teach a sermon series on marriage. I share that for two reasons. One to show how he is interpreting women's participation in this world. And then two, as an example of how strictly some follow the SBC ground rules. It's a marriage series. Get it, Kathy. Shouldn't you have two voices that there's two people in that marriage? But are there really? (laughs) Are there? I got so many jokes that I'm going to keep to myself. I'm trying. My question became, how in the world did we get here? And around that time that I was asking myself this question, I stumbled upon an article in uh, the conversation by Susan M. Shaw. She's a professor at Oregon State University, but she's also an ordained pastor. Uh, We'll link to this article as well so folks can um, read it if they'd like. So she highlighted some specific points in recent history that are very relevant to what we're talking about today. So I wanted to share those. One is that the first woman to be ordained by a Southern Baptist church was Addie Davis in 1964 at the Watt Street Baptist Church in Durham, North Carolina. Now, I don't have the information about her specifically, but relevant to what we were talking about earlier about, I think, what you could at best call a spotty um, history with some racial issues um, and the belief in, in not being for like civil rights and all of this and outwardly proclaiming that Addie Davis, I believe was a supporter of civil rights. So I do think that's an interesting difference. This woman who's being ordained in the mid sixties, she is speaking out for people's rights 
when the church is against them. Mm. I don't know, it's just interesting. By the 19- Get it, Addie. <laughs> Get it, Addie. Uh, by the 1970s, more women are becoming interested in ordainment and more women become attending, uh, excuse me, began attending Southern Baptist seminaries. By 1983, uh, the Women in Ministry, SBC, was formed and they held their first meeting. The next year, in 1984, SBC developed a resolution stating women should be excluded from pastoral leadership and encouraged the service of women in all aspects of church life and work other than pastoral functions and leadership roles entailing ordination. My theory is that this time period may be what inspired LBT mm-hmm. to write this episode. My guess is this is sitting up in her head for a while. Mm. Uh, so Shaw, who wrote this article, she also argued that by the 1990s, women flocking to ministry were met with substantial backlash by fundamentalists who took over some pretty key areas of the SBC. Mm. Scholars were removed from teaching positions and replaced with those who supported the exclusion of women from ordination. The Southern Baptist Theological Seminary borrowed women from preaching pastoral care classes. I don't know what that means, but you're probably weird that you're barring women from doing that. Um, Mission boards stopped appointing women to be equal positions with men, and Southern Baptist publications asserted women's submission. So, it got me thinking, too, like, how are... What do the women have to say about this? And that sort of ran the gamut as well. So I've read about some who've pretty pretty publicly and pretty recently left the SBC. Mm-hmm. And then others are fine to work within the system. You know, uh, they obey the scripture as interpreted and they serve where they can. Um, the group that started out as Women in Ministry SBC goes on to eventually become the Southern Baptist Women in Ministry breaking completely with the convention. So they support and advocate for women in ministry. Nearly 2,500 Baptist women were ordained as of 2017, and 174 served as pastors in non-SBC churches. Mm. Those non-SBC churches, specifically the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship and the Alliance of Baptists, were formed in the years after SBC was uh, dominated by these fundamentalist uh, groups. And the former is more moderate, the latter is more progressive, but they both support women's ordination and women in the pastorate. Uh, I started to think a little bit about this topic as a whole and how it relates to the show and how it relates to the things that we try and cover and explore here. And it seems to me that it's not necessarily that different than other things that we've discussed. There are those who like things the way they are. And then there are also those who are trying to change it. And then I feel like most people are finding themselves somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, so there are some connection points there. Me, personally, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand what the issue is. So, yeah, I'm, I don't, I, I don't want to be disrespectful and I don't want to question something I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I am really, really struggling for the reason I mentioned in the episode, which was Charlene's argument, which was like, for what possible reason? It doesn't make any sense. It's hard to um, feel excluded in that kind of way. And especially now, mm. uh, you know, I haven't thought about these issues in a long time, but it's not like I'm not familiar with this co- like concept of women being silenced and relegated to these more subservient roles, including within the church. The thing is, I just don't buy it. Hmm. I didn't buy it when I was a little kid. That's what I was talking about earlier. 
I um, didn't buy it when I was a leader in FCA, a fellowship of Christian athletes. Um, and I didn't buy it when I was a youth leader in my church. I don't buy it now. And I don't believe it because if you feel it's exactly what you're saying, if you feel called to serve the Lord in that way, to bring others along, to teach them, to lead them, I don't see any reason that your sex, your gender, the color of your skin, your sexual orientation, or anything else for that matter should keep you from that. Amen. I mean, it's just very strange to me. But here's some things that we do know that I think is also interesting to the current discussion. SBC's membership is declining. 2020 marked the 14th year of these declines from a peak of about 16 million members in 2006. Weekly attendance has also dropped by nearly a third in those same years. I'm not at all suggesting it's because they won't let women become pastors, but I can't imagine it's helping. And, you know, not wholly unrelated, and something else that we just have to mention is that the SBC is currently in the midst of an investigation of widespread sexual abuse in Southern Baptist churches. So they have a big responsibility on their shoulders right now to thoroughly and thoughtfully address these allegations that the executive committee mishandled abuse reports and mistreated survivors. One way to start healing these wounds and changing the culture of abuse, bring women in, bring them into leadership roles and into the decision-making. No, it won't solve every problem, but like Bernice said, just remember, after Christ was crucified on the cross and all his men had gone home, it was women who stayed until the bitter end, and it was women who first heralded the news of his resurrection. So just put that in your pulpit and smoke it. And that's this week's Extra Sugar.